1969, Frank Sinatra came out with his uh, patented song, My Way. Uh, he sung it probably over a thousand times uh, in his life. Some would say it was a hymn to individuality and egocentricity. It became a chosen lament at many funerals and bars across the world. Although it was his signature song, his daughter said he wasn't too fond of it. His daughter, Tina Sinatra, said this. He always thought the song was self-serving and self-indulgent. He didn't like it. The song stuck and he couldn't get it off his shoe. He did not love it. Well, one of the reasons why Sinatra didn't love this song is as he aged, he, he understood the regret that he had and how he fathered and cared for his own children. He was beset with doubt and insecurity, and as he aged, more guilt about how he behaved as a father. Uh, when he was growing up, um, when the song was written, it was written by a man named uh, Paul Anka, and he, he was sitting one night, one o'clock in the morning, and started to write down this song, and he said to himself, if Frank were writing this, what would he say? And I, he started to metaphorically and now the end is near. And he, he, he was reading all these newspapers. And they kept on seeing my this and my that. And that generation was known as the, as the me generation and in the end of the 1960s. And if that generation was known as the me generation, what about today? What would be the generation of today? This idea of doing it my way is celebrated in our society. That's why people have wanted it sung at funerals. People have asked me, is it okay if we sing this song at, at a funeral? My way. Well, people think a life lived your own way with disregard to other people should be celebrated. A hymn of individuality and egocentricity, it says. Is that really the life we want to live? Do we want to be known for living our life my way? Well, if you are here today and you are a non-believer, not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I challenge you to think about a life lived my way, a life lived for yourself. As we look at Samson's life, I pray that you would see what happens when you live a life for yourself. And believers, those of you who are here who are trusting in Christ, I pray that when you look at Samson's life, that you would be encouraged to continue to live your life for others. As the Lord Jesus laid down his life for us, we have been called to lay down our lives for others. I pray that you'd be encouraged and strengthened in that task. And you would, you'd be aware and warned of the, of the subtle dangers of creeping and serving your own self. We're going to look at this, uh, these, these three chapters, 14 through 16, with four headings. The first, the beginning of Samson's disobedience. The beginning of Samson's disobedience. You look again with me in... Judges chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, if you read through Samson's life, what you see this word saw or seeing with his eyes is really one of Samson's besetting sins. He was driven by the eye. He was driven by the, by the lust of the eyes, his, his desire for, for women. It says here, then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. Now, what's interesting, in that day, this would have been unheard of. 
Because in that day, it was the father and the mother's responsibility to go find a wife for their child. They had to go find a wife from their own people who would, be, would fit the, the commandments driven by the Lord. But Samson didn't do that. Samson didn't submit to his mother and father. He demanded things from his mother and father. And I would say the beginning of Samson's disobedience started in his home. His parents allowed that disobedience. Much like today, if, we, if, we, if you do not uh, teach your children obedience in the home, as they grow, they will continue to live a life for themselves. We know that great verse in Proverbs, if train up a child in the way that he shall go, when he grows up, he will not depart from it. Well, many scholars would say that when, when a, if you raise a child in his way, in the child's way, as the child grows, he will not depart from a child's way. That's what we see here in Samson's life. His father and mother responded, is, is there not a woman among the daughters of the relatives, or among all our people, that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Remember that as, as an Israelite, you were commanded not to marry a, a Philistine. And here, it wasn't necessarily a conviction by his parents to live unto the Lord. It was more just, can't you just find someone from, it was more an ethnic issue rather than a religious or a devotion to Yahweh issue. But Samson said this to his father, and this epitomizes Samson's life. Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Samson is a picture of all Israel here. As you, as you see the downward spiral of Israel, how Israel is becoming more and more like Canaan. Samson is a picture, kind of put on a pedestal. This is how Israel is living. So after Samson's account, in verse 17, chapter 17, verse 6, it says, Everyone did what was right. There was no king in the land. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That is the mark of the period of Judges. And we first see that primarily in Samson being lifted up here. He was driven by the lust of his eyes. But it's really the, 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 the pride of his own heart. As we see this, this story unfold, he, he, he meets this woman. They get, they get married. His wife comes to him later on, and he, she wants to know this riddle that, that Samson devised. And he says, I, ha, I haven't even told my mother or my father yet, and I should tell you. He had a disregard for his wife, knowing that the scripture says that a man should leave his father and mother and, and cleave or hold fast to his wife. Even Samson, how he was viewing his own marriage, was still connected to his family of origin. But he chose his wife not for spiritual reasons. He chose her, his wife because of externals, the beauty that she, that she had. And as the story goes on, when this woman gave the secret to the Philistines, this is what he said of his wife in verse 18, chapter 14. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Even right there, he, he is, his pride is showing a disregard for his own wife. It's never good in first century, it's never good today to call someone a heifer. Okay? That's not a good thing. It's not some kind of cool language. that he, he was not being respectful and honoring to his wife. So what you see in Samson's life, as his story unfolds, you see this, these besetting sins of lust, but really deeper down, pride. He lived his life for himself. She is right for me. She is right in my eyes. 
And that's exactly how Israel lived in the day. So one of, the, one of my prayers as I was preparing this message is that you would see your own besetting sins. If Samson's besetting sins were lust and, and pride, what are yours? What are the things that you continually struggle day in and day out with? Uh, we all have sins that are, that are more prominent in our life than others. For some it's lust, for some it's greed or anxiety or fear or worry. We all have certain things. When, when you see that those besetting sins coming up in your life, how do you handle them? Let me just say this. You can overcome them. You can overcome them by the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his spirit. You can overcome those sins. One of the things that you have to do first, though, is to identify them. You have to be able to say, this is sin. I pray that you would turn from that sin. But this evening, we'll look a little bit more on how do we specifically fight those besetting sins. But even, even here, we see Israel uh, being led by a man named Samson. Remember, he was born miraculously. We looked at that last week. And he was set aside to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And what does this man who's supposed to be to, to, to deliver Israel from the Philistines, what does he do? He goes and marries a Philistine in direct disobedience to God's word. But then what do we see? The mind of God. Look at verse 4, chapter 14. His father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. God did not want his people linked with the world. He wanted his people distinct and separate. And what did the people of Israel want? They wanted to become like the world. They wanted to be one with the Philistines. But God had another agenda. So God was using the disobedience of of an Israelite, Samson, to bring strife and war between the Philistines so that they would break apart. God was doing this behind the scenes. We see this even in chapter 14 when, when a lion was coming after Samson. It says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he took down a lion with his bare hands. The power of God defeating the lion. Well, as time goes on, the, the lion decayed, and there was a carcass of lion, and, and Samson was walking by this lion, and he looked to his left, and he doesn't see a, 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 a lion full of maggots and, and uh, bugs, which he should have saw. He saw a lion full of a beehive, honey. We know this is from the Lord. It's, it's, it's Samson being, being almost tempted by the Lord. The Lord doesn't tempt us. We know that. But it's, it's God put this there and, and Samson sees it and he goes after. Remember from the Nazarite vow that he was called not to cut his hair, not to have strong drink, and not to touch anything that was dead. Sees this dead animal. And what does he do? He should have just walked right by it because of his vow that he made unto the Lord from birth. But he goes to the lion and he scoops up that which is sweet. I think that that's how many of us are. God says, don't go there. Don't go in that direction. But we see it sweet. We see it looks good. We see it tastes good. So we walk in disobedience to the Lord. Well, the story goes on. Samson creates this riddle. The riddle is, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. A ridiculous riddle that no one would would have gotten. Because it was an act of God for the honey to be there. Uh, he eventually told his wife, and his wife told the Philistines, and Samson lost the bet. He had to pay back 30 
garments to the Philistines. We see at the end of chapter 19, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and struck down thirty men of the town, and took their spoil, and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Just let me make a couple applications from chapter 14. Number one, God will accomplish his purposes. God is is far above us. He is is working out his purposes for his own glory right now. God uses sinful people to accomplish his purposes all the time. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see it again and again. So never question the mind or the heart of God. God is working. We may not understand the the, the what and, and the how, but we know that God is working to bring about his purposes. Number two, just a simple application Sin will destroy you. If you don't identify and kill the the besetting sins in your life, it will eventually destroy you. We see Samson maybe at the beginning of his life, and we see the disobedience to his parents. We see him, him, him disregarding what the Lord has said. And we see some successes later on in his life, which we'll look at next. But he didn't take care of his sin, and what happened? He was destroyed. Don't give Satan a foothold in your life. Root out that sin. The second heading I want to look at is the illusion of Samson's success. The illusion of Samson's success. Look at verse 15, verse 1. This is after some days, the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you were utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. We see the the power of Samson in the previous chapter when he destroyed a lion, uh, when he dominated 30 Philistine men and and, and taking their clothes. And, you know, he honored his word by fulfilling his end of the agreement, but just stirring up strife among the Philistines. Here we see Samson dominating 30 foxes. He gets 30 foxes and he ties torches around the tails and then he lets them go into the harvest fields during the harvest and all the Philistines' food is ruined. It's burned up in smoke. And of course, the Philistines are angry about this and and what do they do? They find out who he was. They find out that he was supposed to marry this this woman and and, and they, they take this woman and her father and they burn her alive. Burn her dead. Samson, enraged because of what happened, says, listen, I will avenge myself again. Verse 19, he comes down to uh, his own people. Verse 9, chapter 15. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson, to do him as we did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom. And said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, we have come to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. So, those of you who have been kind of following us, working through the book of Judges, 
Every time war was announced, when, when God wrote, raised up a deliverer or a judge to, to, to fight against the enemies of, of God, every time that the, the people of, of Israel heard that, what did they do? They fought. They, they rose up and they fought alongside this deliverer. But what is God doing here? They see a, a mighty warrior being risen up with, with strength to overcome the Philistines. And the people of Judah say, hey, we've got to give you back. The Philistines are our rulers. We have to submit to them. It's the first time in the book of Judges where the people of Israel did not rise up with God's man. But they went along with the world. Went along with Canaan. They, they tied him up and they gave him over to uh, the Philistines. It's really because they were content to live like the world. Ask yourself, are you content to be like the world? I think a lot of churches are content to be like the world. I pray that we would never be so. After Samson says, swear to me that you won't attack me. They said, we will not attack you ourselves. They bound him and they gave him to the Philistines. They chose the Philistines over their own kinsmen. And what do we see happen here? Samson is tied up and bound he looses the bounds, and it's him and a thousand Philistines. What's going to happen? The Spirit of the Lord rushes upon Samson. He takes the donkey's jawbone, and he destroys, kills 1,000 Philistines. Miraculously. Now you would know one man to take down a thousand men had to be in a divine intervention. But what does Samson say when he gets this great victory? Look what it says in verse 16. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. He has a chant. He's singing a song to himself, not to the Lord of glory. As soon as he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand in that place was called Ramath Lehi. So what you see here is Samson is living for himself. He's, he's avenging himself and what the Philistines did to him, not what they did to God or God's people. Even at the end, look at verse 18, it says he was thirsty. He was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of of the uncircumcised, and God spilt open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and the water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Listen, God, Samson is not giving God a lot of credit here. It's, you could read that in, but if you understand Samson's character and the way the book is flowing, Samson is trying to manipulate God. He's saying, God, you have to do this for me, right? I've already done this great salvation. You have to give me water. And, and, and God is so patient and so kind, he graciously provides water for Samson. Samson doesn't deserve it. The Israelites do not deserve salvation, and yet God gives it. Isn't he patient with us? He is so patient. Now, if you look at Samson's life, let me, let me make an application. If you look at Samson, you, you think that he is succeeding. 
He's already destroyed 30 Philistines, getting that garments. He's killed a lion. He, he's killed a thousand men. He's able to destroy all the crops of the Philistines by tying 300 foxes together. This man seems to have victory after victory. But just because someone appears to be victorious or appears to be successful, it does not mean that God is pleased. In your life, just because things are going well, you get a promotion, you're in good health, that does not mean that God is pleased with you. Uh, Garrett Kell recently wrote an article uh, for the Gospel Coalition. And the title of the, of the article was, uh, I was a, a pastor who was addicted to porn. And this is, what he, this is what he wrote. He said, when he was struggling with this, one of his besetting sins, the lust of the eyes, much like Samson, he said, what made matters more difficult was the abundance of fruit God was producing through me. Our church had several hundred people coming. Lives were being changed. So I assumed God was overlooking my sin. I assumed I was somehow exempt from the destruction so many others have known. See, when, when you are in sin, you are deceived. You are blinded. You don't know the, the effect that's happening to the people around you. Do not think that that because God is blessing you externally, that he is pleased with you internally. God does not want you to, to rejoice in your outward circumstances. He wants you to rejoice in your heart of, of love to him. So whatever you're dealing with in your life today, that you think that God is overlooking or God is, God is just going to pass away, whatever sin you're dealing with, run from it. Run from it today. Do not let your life become like Samson's. We can even look at the Apostle Paul. Right? The Apostle Paul was arrested and stoned and beaten. From the eyes of the world, he looked like a failure, and yet he was close with the Lord and did muddy things for his name. We see the same thing with our Lord Jesus, who was beaten, was mocked, and was crucified. Yet on the third day was, was raised. The next heading I want you to see is the disappearance of Samson's strength. The disappearance of Samson's Strength. Verse 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. You see, this, this besetting sin just gets worse and worse. The first was, was a wife, and disobedience, a Philistine wife. Here, it's, it's a prostitute, clearly in defiance of God's, God's word. He saw with the eyes. It goes on in verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. By what means we may overpower him and we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. So we see this, this, the next chapter, kind of this overplaying of, of, of Delilah asking what, where Samson gets his strength and Samson lying about where he gets his strength. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. And, and finally, in, in verse 15, she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and had not told me where your great strength lies. And when he pressed him, hard with her words day after day and urged him his soul was vexed to death and he told her all his heart and said to her 
a razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. And I shall become weak and be like any other man. What I want you to see here is that Samson knew the entire time where his strength was. God knew, he knew that God gave him specific strength and skills to serve the people of God. And he disregarded them. You can even hear how he, how he talks about it. When you read this in the Hebrew, sometimes when, when you see the words Lord, it, it's, it's Samson giving credit to, to the sovereign covenant-keeping God. But other times, he gives the generic name for God, Elohim. Meaning there's a disconnect between what he's thinking about his relationship with, with the Lord. Even here, he says, I've been a Nazarite to God. It is not Yahweh, but Elohim. He shows his understanding along that he disregards this, 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 this gift that God has given. Well, look as the story goes in verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, that he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep, and on her knees... She called a man and made, had him shave off his seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke up from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza to bound him with brown, bronze shekels. And he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again. After he had been shaved. What you see here is you see a man who had all the strength in the world and never used it for the Lord. Used it for himself, for his own pleasure. Now, we know that from James 1.16 that all good and perfect gifts come from above. They were given to us by the Father above, coming down from Father of Heavenly Lights. Let me just ask you, how do you use your gifts? Has, has God, God has given you gifts. God has given you talents. God has given you, you strength and skill. Are you using it primarily for the glory of God, or are you using it primarily for yourself? I, I think if we read the scriptures, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, that God gives you gifts to, to build up the body of Christ. So primarily, God gives you unique gifts and talents to build up the body of Christ. One of the reasons why God wants you to, to be connected to the body of Christ, so that you would not be selfish and motivated to serve yourself, but you'd be motivated to serve others. Someone asked me this week, Pastor, how do you deal with the idol of comfort? And my first response is that you join a church. <laughs> you know, why? Because when you're with other people, you are going to be confronted with your, with your own selfless, selfishness. And you're going to be called again and again and again to give yourself to others. If you're going to be a member of the body of Christ, you are going to be inconvenienced. You're going to be hurt. And you're going to be called to overcome that and love each other, right? What that does is it, it weeds out selfishness from your heart and grows a love for others. Exactly what the Lord Jesus wants us to do, to think of others more important than ourselves. Well, let me conclude looking at the tragedy of Samson's death, the tragedy of Samson's death. You know, Samson lost his eyes. The thing that caused his mo the most of his sin, he, he, he lost his eyes. Yet he still had a corrupt heart. His heart 
was not changed. He still served himself. When we come to Christ, we don't just need to change our outward behaviors. Don't need to change our, our, our habits. We need to change our heart. God says those who come to Christ are new creations. Jesus Christ died and rose again and sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts to, to make us new again. So we can be full of the Spirit to overcome sin, to say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves. And even here in his death, Samson is blind to God's kindness to him. Look at verse 28. Samson is, is taken out in this crowd of the Philistines. 3,000 lords are, are gathered. And Samson prays to the Lord. Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and leaned his weight against them, his, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's, upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtola in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. So you think at the end of his life that he would pray to avenge the name of the Lord God. And what does he do? God, let me use my strength to avenge what they did to me. What they did to my eyes. Samson was living for himself his entire life. My way, Samson. He lived his life my way. And the tragedy is, even though he couldn't see anymore, the tragedy is he never saw the Lord. He never saw how kind and good and gracious God was to him. And I think what we see here, even in the end of his life, we see this beautiful picture of God's grace to us. Because where is Samson buried. He said, let me die with the Philistines. Let me live and die with them. His heart's desire. Yet he was taken and he was buried with his own people. Although Samson lived astray, God says, you still belong to me. You're one of my people. Beloved, I pray as we, as we think about Samson's life, that we would think that this is not the life that you want to live. You do not want to live for yourself. Everything in this world is calling you to live for yourself, to live your life my way, to celebrate the individuality that you have. And God says, no, do not live for yourself, but consider others better than yourselves. Look to the Lord Jesus, which is the scripture I'll close with. We read it earlier, Philippians 2, chapter, verse 5. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count quality with God a thing to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you follow Jesus, he commands you to pick up your cross and follow him. One of the ways you pick up your cross is you live for others. And you have that model. 
It's exactly the way Jesus Christ lived. And if you lay down your life for others, there's a promise. There's a beautiful promise. Verse 9 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says if you humble yourself before Christ, you will be exalted. You will be connected with him forever. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. I pray that you would throw off this world's my way mentality and you would live for the interests of Jesus Christ and his glory.